Yo, it's the Southside's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. There's Abreu massacres this ball to left center field. Donna goes in motion left. Snap it to Michelle. He's running to the left. Angling 25-20. Got a block for Grubb. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Don't win it. We're headed to Atlanta. Trubisky's going to run it. And he is going to get a first down. How about Trubisky to the 42-yard line? Oh, my goodness. In the ring. Steamboat's got him up. A slam. The Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. What's up and welcome in this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app with open phone lines for you at 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Snapchat, SnapJHood. Hit me up on Twitter, Twitter.com, TweetJHood, as we broadcast live from our first Midwest Bank Studios. Yeah. Money on my mind. Money on my mind. Yeah. Money on my mind. Money, money on my mind. Yeah. Money on my mind. On the program tonight, we will hear from Ryan Hollins. Ryan Hollins lost a bet long ago. For those of you that are diehard listeners of this program, you know the bit. But for those that don't, that's why we always have to reset these things. Ryan Hollins came on the program and told me that the Toronto Raptors are going to win the NBA champ. It was going to lose the NBA championship. That the Warriors are going to win. And if Toronto would win the championship, then, well, he would do 10 shows in a row. This will be number 9 of 10 that Ryan Hollins will do as our NBA analyst. And he'll be with us coming up at 8.30 here on ESPN 1000. The Summer of Football. The Summer of Football, it is a celebration of the great game of football. College pro, fantasy, you never know what we're going to have. Tonight, we'll hear from Chris Childers. Don't know that name? He's a Chicagoan. He's on SiriusXM ESPN U Radio. He covers college football every day. Think about it. He's talking college football every single day on SiriusXM ESPN U's radio. And he's been on the program before. And so we're going to hear from Chris and get his thoughts about the Big Ten, going to get his thoughts about Illinois and Northwestern, and just his overall look at college football for the upcoming season. Again, nobody does it like this program. Nobody does it like summer football. We give you college. We give you pro. Anything you need football, we have it for you weeknights at 8 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. And um, also, one question. You know, sometimes... You know, some of our guests, they don't have time to be with us for a full interview, but they can be with us for one question. We'll tell you what one question is all about coming up at 750 right here on ESPN 1000. Keep that phone number in mind, 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. Hope that you enjoyed your Tuesday. Hope that you enjoy your Tuesday nights are with you until 9 o'clock. And then it's Freddie Coleman and uh, Myron Metcalf right here on ESPN 1000. We are under the Independence Day holiday uh, times here. We're not going until 10. We're going until 9 o'clock 
We did it yesterday. We're doing it today and also on Wednesday uh, from 7 to 9 in our holiday hours here on Under the Hood. So that means we got to jam a lot of stuff in in our two-hour bag here. So that's what we're going to try to do right here on ESPN 1000. We'll hear from Jesse as well. Jesse, poor Jesse, is covering this Cubs team that can't seem to get over the hump against the Pirates. We'll get uh, Jesse's perspectives at uh, 7.30 and 8.30 right here on ESPN 1000 with live reports from PNC. Let me start here and talk a little bit about player empowerment. I don't know if you've heard that word, but I know that I've heard that phrase for a little bit here in sports. Player empowerment. So for someone that's in his mid-40s like me, that's been watching sports since the late 70s with my grandfather and his friends watching sports, but really being able to understand sports a little bit more in the 80s into the 90s, it is interesting to, to look at how sports has evolved. But in some ways, for some of you, it's like it hasn't evolved, it's devolved. Let me explain. Player empowerment. It is something that is huge in the NBA. It's something I've kept my eyes on because I remember a time in the NBA in which players did not have a voice. They could not be able to go to a general manager and request certain players that could be on the team that was was request an opportunity for them to play elsewhere. It's different. It's a different time now in 2019 with player empowerment in the NBA. And one of the driving forces, I feel, for this player empowerment in the NBA is LeBron James. I'm sure that there are players in the National Football League and there's players in the National Hockey League or players in Major League Baseball and other sports that wish they had this player empowerment. That they can look at what's going on in sports and say, man, I wish that I could be able to get, get traded or I wish that I could be able to be an influence to be able to have other talented players play with me. Only in the NBA where you have this player empowerment, and a lot of this was pushed by LeBron James. I was reading a piece, even if you just Google player empowerment in the NBA, you'll probably find this piece just like I did. The Miscellany News. There was a writer from February talking about player empowerment because it's something that is prevalent in the NBA. I'll just pick it up from here. That column says... LeBron's infamous televised decision, as it turned out, was the decision that launched a thousand more moves. When his contract was up in Miami, LeBron changed teams for the second time in four years. An unprecedented maneuver for a superstar at the very apex of his career. Upon his subsequent return to Cleveland, LeBron penned a letter expressing his excitement to play with the team's young players. The Cavaliers' first overall pick, Andrew Wiggins, was notably absent in the letter. A week later, LeBron James voiced his interest in playing with Minnesota Timberwolves forward Kevin Love. In August, Love was in Cleveland, Wiggins was in Minnesota, and the myth of LeGM, L-E-G-M, was born. LeBron's influence grew. And so since the decision 2.0, the traditional constitution of a superstar has fallen apart. So many of the NBA's best have changed teams that the phrase franchise player has gone by way of the midway jumper. And he goes on to talk about some of the problems that he has with player empowerment. Keep in mind, for a long time, there's been a lot of players in the past, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, that wish they had the opportunity to be able to have this player empowerment, to be able to have that power. And 
you think about, especially for someone like me as a Gen Xer, to see salaries go up and up and up and to see like the first million dollar player, the first five million dollar player, the owners were playing, can you top this in sports? And they continue to dole out money. Was it based on the demand of the player or the agent? Not necessarily all the time. It was the owner that said, I'm going to solidify your career by paying you this much for this amount of years. And as the demand grew, the salaries grew. And so because of this now, LeBron James has the testicular fortitude to be able to say, I have generational wealth, so you can't hold me down because of money because I did well with my money. I'm doing a lot of great things with my money. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I have the right players around me to win a championship. We can't get this twisted. There's so many that look at the NBA and believe that, well, you know, it's just about all these teams and all these, and these players are just trying to have these super teams to try to win a championship and they're holding the NBA hostage. You know what that is? That's power. And the power lies in the hands of the players. More so in the NBA than the other sport. The NBA grew the monster. And the monster now is telling you, I want to be able to have talented players around me. And I have no problem with that aspect of it. And here's why. There's been so many talented players in the league that wish that they could be able to recruit other players to come play with them. There's this pride thing from the 80s, like you know Isaiah Thomas or Reggie Miller or Mitch Richmond for a long time or Gary Payton or, or Carl Malone. Some of these guys, they only played one team or they only played for one team and then went someplace else later on in their career and wished that they could be able to be with other talented players. When you hear Charles Barkley on Get Up or some of our ESPN platforms talk about how he hates super teams, there's the same guy that was involving himself in super teams. Again, it's about history. Don't get it twisted when it comes to histories. We talk about this with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 in the ESPN app. So over the weekend, I did my NBA a free agency special with Bobby Marks and... We got a chance to talk to Jackie McMullen. Jackie McMullen's on the jump now, but she has been a columnist covering sports, covering the NBA for such a long time. She's a senior writer now for ESPN.com. I asked her her thoughts about player empowerment. I do think he's had a great effect on this league, a bigger effect than any other NBA player, except for maybe Oscar Robertson. Can we go all the way back to you know, him creating free agency for uh, the NBA players and the stands that he took that actually cost him in his career. I mean, I'm sure Bobby can, uh, knows what I'm talking about here. There, uh, you know, Oscar Robertson fought very hard for player movement and then, you know, believes to this day that he was blackballed when he retired from being in a front office or being a GM or, or being a coach in the league because of it. So, uh, you know, I think LeBron's influence is indisputable. So thoughts there from Jackie McMullen talking about LeBron's power. And again, going back to Oscar Robertson, again, you don't hear the term blackball very often in the NBA. You hear this as of late from Andre Iguodala talking about Mark Jackson and why Mark Jackson's not a head coach in the NBA. But as far as the Craig Hodges, as far as players like Oscar Robertson who spoke up and said, you're just not going to chain me to this one uh, team all my career. I want to be able to go elsewhere. Uh, a player has a right to do that and be able to exercise free agency. I want to you to think about yourself think about you 
where you have an opportunity to make more money for your family, make more money for yourself, to be able to establish income for yourself and to be able to save some of that. But your company says, no, you can't leave. You have to stay here for as long as we want you to stay here. You'd be like, okay, well, there's money on the, across the street. Why can't I work across the street? Well, because you have to stay here. This is where the NBA player says, well, you're not growing this company or you're not growing this team around me, so I'm going to go elsewhere. It's, it's very compelling to me how this all is occurring under Adam Silver. Player empowerment. LeBron James makes a decision, and I know many, and, I, and again, you, it might even be you, many looked at LeBron James' decision and thought that was a negative for the league. How can he just sit there and say he's going to take his talent to South Beach? As if a player does not have the right to be free in his free agency. It's ridiculous. At the time I said it, I was working with Stephen Bardo. We did the show here on ESPN 1000 when LeBron made his decision. Oh, how could he have a show talking about, about, I mean, he's moving, he's leaving Cleveland after all those years to go to Miami? As if that's a problem. As if a free agent should not be free. Amazing how that works as far as people against that in the NBA, but cool with it in the NFL, but cool with it in the NHL, but cool with it in the Major League Baseball. <laughs> Player empowerment is strong. And when it comes to free agency, this leads me to the Kawhi Leonard story. So Kawhi Leonard, to me, holds all the keys as far as the balance of power in free agency in the NBA. He holds all the keys to it. Because Kawhi Leonard did not want to get traded to Toronto, but he was from San Antonio. Goes to Toronto, wins an NBA championship. And so now he's in a position where he's a free agent, again, free. And has the right to go wherever he wants to, to go play in the NBA to make a living for him and his family. And I, I can look up that at some of our ESPN platforms. Is it a weak decision? Is it a weak decision for Kawhi Leonard if he goes to the Lakers? Why, why is this the question for the NBA, but never for the other sports? Why do you think that is? I mean, think about it. He's free to go wherever he wants to play. Clippers, Lakers, go back to Toronto. I've said on the record that I think that he should roll the dice on himself and play in Toronto for one more year and then have a one-and-one. One, play for a year, have a player option, leave if he wants to, and then see what the market brings at that point in time. It's a crowded market, and, and there's a lot of guys getting paid. But if Kawhi, who's from Los Angeles, by the way, decides that he wants to go, and, and play for Los Angeles and play for the Lakers for the rest of his career with LeBron, with Anthony Davis, that's his choice. The, the, the feeling that because there's a super team that the NBA will just, will, uh, that will be the champion. It could be the, the Golden State Warriors, oh, they've got so many stars. How long did that dynasty really last? Right? If it wasn't for injuries, which occur, by the way, in sports, which occur in the NBA, uh, you know, the injuries occur, and so that's what derailed the dynasty. We may never see six titles in eight years like the Bulls did because it's a different athlete. And so if, if Kawhi decides he wants to be in Los Angeles and play with LeBron James, that's his choice. He's free to do whatever he wants to do. That's not going to stop the league. That's not going to stop the popularity of the league. But yet, I, I continue to see on all these platforms, uh, you know, it's a weak move if he does that. Why, why would Kawhi go to the Lakers? Because it's his choice. It's his choice. It's not about you. It's not about me. 
If Kawhi plays for the La- for the Clippers, he's going to be the star. He's going to drag the Clippers' ass across the Western Conference threshold. That doesn't mean that they're going to win the championship because he's there. So he, he does what he wants. So, again, going back to player empowerment, the player, just like any other sport, has the power in their hands to decide what they want to do because of free agency. Now, here's one thing I'm not a big fan of. I'm not a big fan of someone demanding a trade in season. There's, there's one thing about player empowerment that's fine when it comes to free agency and being able to influence others to come play with them so that way you, uh, have, you're not the only talented player on the team. How many, I mean, I grew up with that era. I grew up with plenty of that in the 80s and 90s where it's one star and the rest of those guys are just, eh, okay. And so what today's player wants is legacy. I'll make sure I underline that today. It's about legacy. It's not about the cash. The cash is number one, sure. But it's not the number one. It's not the only thing. It's the number one thing to be wealthy, to maybe have generational wealth, but also legacy. It's about championships. Is it, I know it, there's some in the 90s, you know, I grew up in that era too, you know, watching some of these uh, players across the sports landscape just want to be on, you know, Robin Leach's Rich and Famous and be on MTV Cribs and want to show off their cars and their houses and all that kind of stuff and their bling and all that. But uh, legacy and being a champion matters to this generation. It's a little different than it was in the 90s, you know, in, in some ways. But Kawhi Leonard holds the keys. That's power, man. Here's a guy here that's with Toronto. The whole country of Canada was starving for a championship. And finally, they got themselves a championship. And Kawhi now could stay or go someplace else. If he goes to the Lakers, he goes to the Lakers. The, the, one of the things that's always impressive to me, that it intrigues me, is that when you have a Golden State, when you have a Bulls, when you have a Lakers, when you have a Celtics, when you have teams that are going through these dynasties, what I'm always looking for is, okay, well, what's next? Who's going to knock off that dynasty? And it has happened to be Toronto in the Eastern Conference. This weak Eastern Conference we keep talking about, right? An Eastern Conference champion now has the Larry O'Brien trophy. Even in the stacked West, Toronto was able to get it done because of Kawhi Leonard. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We'll talk about the Bulls, by the way, coming up in our next segment. I got something on the Bulls that I think that uh, will really tell a great story about the Bulls not only this upcoming season, but also uh, in 2020, 2021. We'll get into that coming up uh, in our next half hour. Um, I was looking at some teams that should be in the playoffs next season. Again, should. You can hold, hold me to it now on July 2nd. Of course, I may change. Actually, may. I will change this <laughs> more than likely by the time we get to the season in October, November. But I looked at these, the, all the movements in free agency, and there's been a ton. If you've been reading like I've been reading today, there's been a lot of movement. Way over $2 billion of money that's been doled out to free agents uh, in the NBA. A ton. This is the craziest time. And I, I, I speak without hyperbole. This is the craziest time that we've seen in free agency. And it all started with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving going to the Brooklyn Nets and the Knicks getting nothing, and Philadelphia putting a lot of money on the table for Ben Simmons and for um, for Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler um, traded to Miami. It's a lot. It's a lot of stuff going on. But I look at the teams, and I don't see a, a really a big difference as far as what we're going to see this year versus last year. Playoff teams, I see Milwaukee, 
being a playoff team once again because of the signing of Brogdon. Uh, he's I'm sorry, the signing of Middleton because he's locked in for long haul. So Middleton, as well as uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, is that one-two punch. They make a great Batman and Robin combo. And then Philadelphia will be in the playoffs, clearly, because they, even though they missed a few players, again, Jimmy Butler is no longer there, but they are going to lock up Ben Simmons for the long haul. And so Philadelphia definitely will be a playoff team. Brooklyn definitely is a playoff team. Uh, by the way, there were 42-40 and 40 last year. Brooklyn doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be 10 games better than that. Let's, let's, let's hold the brakes. If you're someone that's in Vegas or uh, does a little gambling as far as futures, doesn't necessarily mean just because Kyrie's there that the Brooklyn Nets are going to be a 55, 50-55 win ball club. I can see improvement, but remember, Kevin Durant does not play next season. He'll play the season after that because of the injury. So Brooklyn, I see as a playoff team. That's going to be interesting to see, by the way, just how Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant get along. That's going to be interesting. Two birds of a feather when it comes to their temperament. Can they work together? Big question. Toronto will be in the playoffs with or without Kyrie Irving. I think that uh, that team is strong enough to be a try-hard team to be able to be one of the top eight teams. Indiana improved. I'm a big fan of the Brogdon move. Brogdon was a 50-40-90 guy at, at times with Milwaukee last year. This will tell a great story about who Brogdon is, too. Uh, in that McMillan mix uh, with the Indiana Pacers, I, I, I see an improvement with the Pacers on some of the moves that they made. So Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Toronto, Indiana. So that's five. Boston will be in the playoff six. And then it gets a little murky. <laughs> because if you're a Bulls fan, you're saying, the Bulls, right? The Bulls, right? Well, we're going to talk about that coming up. Um, the Magic made the playoffs last year, and so did Detroit. Would it, it would not surprise me if one of those teams are in the top eight in the East this upcoming season. Now, can the Bulls make them their way into that uh, top eight? That's a big question. We'll talk about that coming up. In the West, Denver, Utah, Portland, uh, Lakers, Clippers. Is a, I have a question mark against the Clippers. If they don't get Kawhi, the Clippers, are the Clippers a playoff team? Uh, Houston, Oklahoma City, Golden State. I mean, those are, I'm looking at these teams here. Golden State, I believe with Steph Curry and um, with uh, D'Angelo Russell. I think that uh, I think that's a playoff team. Are the Spurs in it? Are the Sacramento Kings in it? Is New Orleans in it? You have about twelve teams that you can look at and say those teams could be in the playoffs. It'll be interesting. It would not surprise me though if everything stays status quo. Only the Bulls can control the status quo when it comes to this year uh, versus uh, this upcoming season. We'll talk about the Bulls and what you can expect from them. This upcoming season for the 1920 season that's coming up next as you're listening to UTH. Jonathan Hood. Photo shoot fresh. Looking like wealth. I'm about to call a paparazzi on myself. Uh. On ESPN 1000. Yo, it's time for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. We'll have summer football coming up at the top of the hour. 
It's the Cubs and the Pirates at PNC. Here's Jesse Rogers with a rain delay report. Jess? Yeah, Jay Hood, it's the best news for the Cubs all week. We're in a rain delay. They're down 2 nothing in the fourth <laughs> inning. As Kyle Hendricks makes his return to the mound after being on the injured list with a sore shoulder. He's looked okay. Four hits and one walk so far, 55 pitches. But his night's going to be done because it's going to be a long rain delay. Adam Frazier and Starlin Marte both 2-for-2 two two so far tonight. Uh, Frazier, the leadoff man for the Pirates, now seven hits in a game and three innings so far. He had five yesterday, two so far today. Again, they have uh, two runs on the board. Meanwhile, the Cubs, nothing going. They had a uh, players meeting yesterday, a team meeting with Joe Madden today. That was scheduled, and yet they come out a little flat um, at the plate at least. Jason Hayward, of all people, picked off first base early in this game, and that was uh, the only runner they've had so far. So, 2 nothing. We're in a rain delay. It's the top of the fourth inning. Um, I think it's going to be a long way to go here. Maybe they'll bang this one and start it up tomorrow, or else uh, we're going to probably start in about two or three hours from now because the rain looks like it is staying. So that's the story here in Pittsburgh. Back to you. Is there a book that you could read, Jesse, during a rain delay? You have a, <laughs> uh, a maybe a sample, maybe something that you can, you can suggest as far as rain delay Better, reading. Yeah, you know, buy it and read it. Um, Try not to suck the definitive bio on Joe Madden. And I've heard all the jokes. The Cubs need to open up that book and read it themselves because uh, it has not been good. Last night, 18-5. to Uh, So Joe might have to reopen and learn his own uh, methods. You know what I mean? Reopen that book and and, uh, get back to basics here. He he talked to them before the game. We'll see if it has an effect. But uh, so far, not so much. Anyway, try not to suck. Buy it everywhere. Thank you, Jesse. See ya. The Hood with Jonathan Hood, weeknights at 7 here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. We got summer football coming your way at the top of the hour. Also at 8.30, Ryan Hollins. Yes, an hour from now, Ryan Hollins will give us his thoughts about what's going on in the NBA free agency. There's been some more news that come out of NBA free agency. We'll talk to Ryan about coming up at 8.30 right here on ESPN 1000. Glad to have you in today. Summer hours here this week. We're with you until 9 o'clock. We're usually here until 10, but we're on until 9. The same thing tomorrow, 7 to 9. And then on Thursday, the 4th of July... I'll be working 9 to noon. I'll be in for David Kaplan on Kaplan Company. So we're going to bring our night funk to the midday, 9 to noon on the 4th of July, right here on ESPN 1000. By the way, we're going to do the same, some of the same things that we do on uh, middays. We're going to bring you summer of football. We'll, we'll get a chance to talk about the NBA. We'll be able to talk definitely a lot of Cubs and White Sox as well on the 4th of July. So hope that you enjoy that uh, on the 4th, 9 to noon. That's where you can find me. Uh, a couple of news and notes for you regarding the Bulls, and I'll kind of dig into where the Bulls might be going here the next couple of seasons. Uh, Sham Sharania from The Athletic. I see also, I see this from Woj, from ESPN. Adrian Wojnarowski, who covers the NBA for ESPN, has this as well. Free agent center Luke Cornett has agreed to a two-year deal with the Bulls. Now, no money has been uh, discussed y- just yet, but Luke Cornett, the old Nick, is now part of the Bulls for two years. Also, the Bulls' restricted free agent Ryan Archidiakono has agreed to a three-year, $9 million deal to return to the Bulls. Those are the two Bulls uh, nuggets 
over the last, I'd say, two and a half hours that came across the wire. So the Bulls are locking up a lot of their uh, loose change and filling out the rest of their roster. I still feel the same way I did yesterday when I was talking about the Bulls in that if you're not enamored with Chris Dunn, you had a number of guards that you could look at to be able to lock that in. And I know there's going to be a lot of veterans on this roster, a lot of veterans on this team that's not going to start that they've been able to acquire. But let's take a look at what they've done here, the Bulls. So they agreed to a reported three-year, $41 million deal with forward Thaddeus Young, who's 31. They agreed to a reported three-year, $30 million deal with Thomas Sadoransky. And Ryan Archidiakono, a three-year, $9 million deal. So I was reading Kevin Pelton from ESPN.com. And Kevin said that the Bulls split up about $22 million in cap space between two new contribution uh, contributors to their expected rotation. So they were able to slightly have a bigger deal for Young, a starter throughout the last seven seasons, who may move to a bench role in Chicago behind Young front court starters Wendell Carter Jr. and Laurie Markkinen. Now, let me just stop there. Thaddeus Young, as I mentioned, 31 years of age, a veteran that's been around for a, a little bit here. Um, if, I guess no one else was going to give him $41 million to sit on the bench over three years, so Thaddeus Young took it. Okay? I mean, like, There's a lot of teams that won't make the playoffs that didn't, didn't offer that. Thaddeus Young says, Chicago, that's the spot, especially based on the money. The money's good, doesn't have to play as a starter for the team. He's just going to be there as in a kind of a leadership veteran coming off the bench behind Wendell Carter Jr. and Laurie Marketing. Kevin says that young landing with the Bulls should be no surprise, given that he played in Philadelphia for Doug Collins. You know Doug Collins, the senior advisor for the Bulls. Collins was always a fan of young, a reliable, crafty player who game, whose game aged very well thus far. 5.1 wins above replacement. And uh, Collins, last season with the 76ers, he remembered Thaddeus Young and would not surprise me, as I say this, it would not surprise me if Collins suggested Thaddeus Young as a player to come in with this Bulls team. Let's get move on to Sadoransky. As we talk about the Bulls with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Sadoransky comes in through a sign-and-trade that will send... The Wizards, the better of Chicago's and Memphis's second-round picks next season, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, as well as swap rights on a second-round pick in 2022 and the removal of a previous top 36 protection on the 2023 second-round pick the Bulls sent to Washington in the Otto Porter trade. Whew, need a cigarette. A high second-round pick is a little more than I'd like to pay for a restricted free agent. But Sadoransky came on to this team as a value contract based on the others that we've seen from point guards so far. So Sadoransky's on-court production is worth $31 million over the next three years. His ability to play on and off the ball fits well along with Zach Levine and Kobe White. So one other thing that was pointed out, catch this now, these two additions of Young and Sadoransky. These two additions may be Chicago's biggest in free agency for a while. The Bulls won't have appreciable cap space next summer unless Otto Porter declines his $28.5 million player option. 
and that cap holds for Porter and Marketing. That would likely put Chicago over the cap in the summer of 2021 as well. So the Bulls are largely counting on internal development to get this group back to the playoffs. You missed that. You missed it, didn't you? I'll say it again. These two additions may be Chicago's biggest in free agency for a while. The Bulls will not have appreciable cap space next summer unless Otto Porter declines his $28.5 million player option and cap holds for Porter and Marketing would likely put the Bulls over the cap in the summer of 2021 as well. So the Bulls are largely counting on internal development to get this group back to the playoffs. It's exactly what I've been telling you for a while here. This team should not be called the Bulls. It should be called the core. Because the only thing that matters to John Paxson and Gar Foreman is to be right. They want to get this right. They want to they want to be right about their core. And I hope that they are. Because talking about a team that's not under that's not in the mix for the top eight in the East, a team that's under five hundred, is no fun for yours truly. It is no fun. There is and Phoenix has heard me say this before too. I I take no joy in talking about the underachievement of any Chicago team. You have to realize that when teams are playing well, that puts more money in my pocket, that brings more people to the radio, and that's the thing I'm looking at. It also puts a smile on my face because if you're talking about a team that's doing well, now all you're looking for is saying, well, what about the next game? Or what, what can we expect the next game? Dwelling in the negative... And just dwelling in a team that can't get out of their own way is not good radio for me. It's not. But this is where we are because we have to talk about facts. And the facts are is that this Bulls team is so stuck on the core that they feel like because of their money constraints that this is what it is. What you see is what what you get. This is what Bulls basketball is. It's too bad because... I would love to talk about the Bulls the same way I talk about the Nets, or the same way I talk about Philly, or the same way I talk about the Lakers, or the same way I talk about Denver. Teams that are on the come. Teams that were able to spend a lot of money to make themselves better, to be relevant in the playoffs. And the Bulls are not. It's about this core. If you believe in the Bulls, then God bless you. But I can't really tell you what Bulls basketball is when half of them are always on the bench hurt. That's the thing. John Paxson talking about adding young veterans to this roster. His thoughts from draft night with Chris Bleck and me. Well, we're, gonna, we're in the process right now of kind of evaluating the talent that's out there. We, you know, Gar's on the phone constantly. We, it's what the market will be. There's a lot of money out in the market this summer, and a lot of teams are, are going to be out there spending, but uh, they'll be the tier that goes, and then there'll be some fallbacks. But we, we have a, a very good idea of what we want. Um, but we, you know, we're going to have to wait till the thirtieth to, to, you know, to go go at it. Uh, but we we know we need to add some veterans. But with that said, we also, you know, it's we have Otto Porter and, and Zach, who are another year older. Uh, Lowry's entering his third year now. Um, you know, so you know through through experience, there's some some leadership. Uh, 
that, that goes on through that. But definitely we're, we're looking for a couple of veteran guys that, that can fit well with this young group. Be pros, you know, show these guys every day what it means to be a professional. You know, most guys that last a long time in this league, they last because they've been, been pro to take care of themselves. They played well. Uh, they've done all the right things, and that's always the best example for young players. No GM talks like that in the NBA. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I've heard, heard a lot of press conferences. No GM talks about bringing in veterans to try to tutor young players. That's such a 1997 thing to say. It, it just is. Because what you're looking for is, in free agency, talent. Guys that can be able to not just push young players, but to get in the starting lineup and make a difference, to pay dividends for the team. Not a, a player like that you like because he doesn't mind being on the bench, you know, making forty-one million, or a guy like Luke Cornett that fits whatever narrative the Bulls have that they want to be able to um, put out there for the fans and have him out there for two years. I mean, it's just, you know. You want difference makers, and the Bulls got Sadoransky. It's the only guy I'm really focused on now because Sadoransky can play three different positions, and I think he could be a, a nice player for them. Um, so I, I look forward to seeing what he can do, but I just I don't know. I don't know. We'll talk to Stacey King about this tomorrow. Um, Brian, so talking about NBA as far as relevant teams that are trying to get in the mix. Brian Windhorst was on the jump. And it was talking about Kawhi Leonard. He says, Kawhi has known what the Clippers have for months. Keep in mind that Kawhi has known what the Clippers have had to offer mm-hmm. for months. They have the same coach. They have the same roster. They have the same mm-hmm. uh, front office structure. There's very little mystery there. Mm-hmm. You'd want to hear their plan, what right. they're going to do with their cap space and their other moves. The Raptors... He was there every single day. He knows exactly what, mm-hmm. they, what they have. He knows everything about their training staff, everything what they're going to do, load management program, whatever. The Lakers have dramatically changed in the last month. Right. They have a new front office structure. They have a completely new roster altogether. We have no idea what Magic's role is in the situation. They've traded away mm-hmm. all, a lot of their options. We don't know what their plan is. <laughs> Brian Windhorst talking about uh, Kawhi Leonard on the jump. By the way, wink, nodge, wink, wink, wink. Magic Johnson continues to talk to representatives around Kawhi Leonard, including his uncle, trying to get Kawhi Leonard to come to Los Angeles and play for the Lakers. Whatever he decides to do, he decides to do it. Does not matter to me one way or the other. I just know Kawhi really holds the keys of free agency. Too bad he's not a bull. That'd be great. Uh, Charles Barkley was on first take. He's already crowned the Sixers the best team in the NBA. Listen. Yesterday was a great day for Brooklyn, but it was the second best day for the Philadelphia 76ers. I love what they did. Uh, I think they're the team to beat in the NBA, uh, no matter what Kawhi does. You know, they were the team that came the closest to beating them, but with the addition of Josh Richardson and, and Al Horford, the 76ers to me became the team to beat. But it depends on two things. Joel Embiid's got to get his fat butt in shape. And secondly, Ben Simmons got to work on his game. If those two things happen, the Philadelphia 76 are the team to beat in the NBA. So uh, Charles Barkley on first take talking about the Sixers and believing it's the best team in the NBA. Uh, that's still to be determined, sir. We, we don't know the Sixers are the best team in the NBA. They are stacked, that's for sure, but are they the best? You can put all these teams together, but if you don't have chemistry, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to come away with the Larry O'Brien trophy. All right, coming up next, we asked one question, just one question 
to our guest coming up next as you're listening to Under the Hood. Jonathan Hood. ESPN 1000, Under the Hood, with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Glad to have you with me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app, Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. I have to remind you, we got summer football coming up at the top of the hour. We'll hear from Chris Childers from SiriusXM. ESPNU Radio will get his thoughts, the Chicagoan, about the Big Ten. What can we expect for the Big Ten this upcoming season? Uh, and some other news and notes around college football. So if you're a college football fan, stay tuned for the summer football at the top of the hour. Listen. We work weeknights here on ESPN 1000, and people have family. They got stuff to watch on TV. They got friends. So we don't get a chance to talk to everybody for a long form as far as these interviews are concerned. But sometimes, just sometimes, people have time for at least one question. You guys lose this game, or did the Jazz win this one? Time for one question. What? With Jonathan Hood. Bro, what are you talking about, man? Just one question. Oh, there's one more thing. On ESPN 1000. It is time for one question right here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. I told Felix, just go through your phone. We've had girlfriends. We've had broadcasters. We've had people. Just go through your phone. Just find someone to ask one question. And today, we went through the address book, and Felix found... My friend Dave LaGreca from Sirius XM, uh, who does a great job with Busted Open Radio, mornings 8 to 11 Central, Monday through Friday. If you are a wrestling fan, that's the spot to go to for Busted Open on Sirius XM, and Dave joins me here on ESPN 1000. Hello, Dave. How are you, man? I feel like one of your girls on the bench. You haven't called me in so long. <laughs> Why well, do you get start up on that? the starting rotation, buddy? <laughs> Why do you start that way? Here, we go. Here he is. <laughs> Always something with you. All right. All right well, thank you for pausing SmackDown long enough to answer the call. All right. So, <laughs> so here's the one question. Yes, I'm interested in Nikki Cross too. Here's the question for you, Dave. Are you ready, sir? Yes. Okay, Dave Lagreca. From Busted Open on Sirius XM, sir, what is the one the one wrestler that you would have paid to see if you were alive to watch him? One wrestler I would pay to see if I was alive to watch him. Mm-hmm. You know what? I am going to go with Gorgeous George. If I was around to be able to see Gorgeous George, I would pay to see Gorgeous George. And that, my friends, is one question. Jonathan Hood. Cause all we trying to do is do good. Put on my hood when I walk through hoods. On ESPN 1000. The summer of football. We're just having fun and we working, baby. With Jonathan Hood. Come on, baby, let's get it. Let's go now, you fired the first shot. Let's go, man. Five starts from deep in their own territory. And it's packed off at the 25-yard line. Eddie Jackson and he'll go in for the touchdown. Having fun and we working, baby. Pressure now on Mahomes. He's in trouble. Now gets it away. Are you kidding me? Barkley up the middle, cuts to the outside. Saquon Barkley across midfield. Standard bounds. And Barkley takes it all the way. 
summer of football. Lawrence flips it open. Justin Ross, Hoffman running, and Clemson strengthens its grip on this championship game. Williams in the game for the first time this year for Notre Dame. Takes the handoff and takes off. The summer of football. You got it. Work right here on ESPN 1000. I think we ain't there yet. And the ESPN app. This is the summer of football. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. Every night we give you something football, something NFL, something college, something fantasy. You never know because it's the summer of football. As we celebrate the great game before everybody else does, we do it here on ESPN 1000. Our special guest is Chicago's own Chris Childers from ESPNU on Sirius XM. And the show pony joins us here on the summer of football. Chicago's own Chris Childers, welcome to the summer of football. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic, buddy. How are you? It's good to be on. Uh, yeah, I'm doing great. Let's get this out of the way before we get into the football. Ah, Giolito, McCann can, yes, he can can, to the All-Star game as a fellow White Sox fan. That's got to make you feel good, right? Oh, super excited, man. Well, I think I feel like we're getting better. we got some nice oomph in the lineup. we got some All-Stars right now. Every once in a while, we win a couple of games in a row, which is exciting. <laughs> um, I feel hopeful. So, yeah, I'm excited about this news. I'm, I'm pumped about it. Yeah, it's 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 turning around. It's slow, but it's turning around. Yeah, soon, isn't it? As soon as Girardi is the manager, I'll be I'll be able to buy in 100. <laughs> percent You will see me every day if Joe Girardi is the manager. I will move back to Chicago from Nashville. I promise. If Girardi's the manager, I'm coming home. <laughs> You're going to be a season ticket holder. You're going to go see that every uh, night, what, right? Yeah, 100, percent dude. I will be there behind the home plate every game. 100. percent I got to ask you about your Irish. I'm interested in finding out your thoughts right here on the home of the Irish ESPN 1000 about what stood out most about Notre Dame last year that appealed to you. Well, I think you got to start with Ian Buck and just the way things transformed after he came into the lineup. I mean, if you look at Notre Dame early on, they could never really find that offensive rhythm with Brandon Winbush and then insert Ian Buck a couple weeks into the season. And all of a sudden they had a leader. Now, I think Ian Book's transformation, you know, with the offense was obviously huge. But also, I think a lot of people forget that Dexter Williams also wasn't available for the first handful of games. And when he got inserted, happened to be right around the same time as, as Ian Book, uh, the offense really took off. So I think with both those guys, the offense kind of hit another stride. The defense was outstanding. I mean, that's why they were a college football playoff team against Clemson last year. It was that defense. I'm curious. If that defense can sustain, there's a lot of key departures to the NFL, uh, guys like Jerry Tillery, et cetera. And that's going to be a big question, and we'll see how they fill that void this year. But as far as last year, I just think it's the way the defense performed consistently start to finish, but most importantly, just the way the offense is able to find a rhythm. I don't think there's any way at all that team is sniffing a playoff and winning close games if Brandon Winbush were to stay a quarterback. For whatever reason, it wasn't quite clicking and I know there was like a little mental aspect there. I really, I like Brandon Wilbush a lot. I've sat down and talked to the kid a couple of times. He's a great kid. I really wish him success at UCF. Maybe just another, you know, another change of pace and a different setting, a different change of scenery might really start to boost his career. But at Notre Dame, being that quarterback, being under the microscope, it didn't click. When Book got in there, Book was almost like playing with nothing to lose. And I thought he played uh, outstanding enough to lead him to the playoffs. So I think that's what really stood out was the way the offense started to find a rhythm good enough to win 
against good teams when Ian Book and Dexter Williams got into the lineup. So I look at this uh, schedule, Chris, and there is no way that Notre Dame is going to get past my team on the 21st of September. Um, we're going to Georgia's going to beat your ass on the other side of the hedges and make you like it. So <laughs> can a can a one loss Notre Dame team reach the Final Four? You know, it all depends. I mean, yeah, I think the short answer is yes. I think they can. I don't think they have to go undefeated if they have a tough schedule and the one loss is the Georgia. And what I mean by if they have a tough schedule, I don't know. You know, last year I thought their schedule was daunting. And then USC ended up being terrible. And Florida State was just putrid crap. And you kind of look across the board, and they didn't play a lot of tough teams. I mean, it's like everything broke their way where teams that should be good weren't very good. And they were able to kind of just navigate their way to 12-0. and 0. Um, if, like, if SC bounces back and they have some tougher games on the schedule, uh, Michigan, you know, ends up, you know, they're playing them on the road. If that ends up being, you know, a real battle and Michigan ends up winning the Big Ten, which they could, I mean, Urban Meyer's not at Ohio State anymore. You know, that to me um, can obviously be a big factor when it comes to all of that stuff. But, uh, yeah, you know, like when you look at Notre Dame, I don't, I'm with you. I don't think there's, any way in hell they're going to be Georgia. Like, there's no way. I, I, it's not just me saying that to appease you. Um, Georgia's got another level of personnel. Georgia's built like that, like Alabama and Clemson. They've got that that two, three deep guys that can just throw in. You know what's different about the Georgia's, Alabama's, and the Clemson's, what makes them really the only true bona fide national title contenders is the depth they have up front on the defensive line. Notre Dame doesn't have that. Georgia can cycle guys in and out keep guys fresh, that look like the one and twos, and that gives them that big advantage. Those are the teams winning national championships. Georgia's there. So with that said, I just don't think Notre Dame, we've seen Notre Dame against the elite uh, not have success most recently. They got pounced by Clemson pretty good. Um, so with that said, I think Georgia's built in that same vein. I don't think they can beat them. Can they get through a Michigan and teams like that again, perhaps? Um, but I just don't know. I mean, you look at Notre Dame, and they just don't know if you can trust them consistently. Um, you got to find a new running back. Jafar Armstrong seems to be that guy. Uh, you never know with them. But do I think if they go 11-1, if the rest of their schedule ends up being as good as it possibly could be, and Florida State cycles back up, I think they could go to the playoff. It also hinges on, you know, do we have a one-loss Georgia or Alabama? And do we, you know, have the argument, too, from the SEC? And, you know, where does the 13th data point come into play and all that kind of nonsense we'll get into if that plays out closer to December. But um, I think the short answer is yes, they would have a chance if their one loss is to Georgia on the road if they're competitive in that game. Chris Childers from ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM joins me, Jonathan Hood, on the Summer of Football on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I'm going to hit you with a couple of over and unders before I get your overall thoughts in the Big Ten. So I'll start with Northwestern. If the over under is nine wins, what they had last year, if I'm sitting at nine, how do you see it? That's a tough. Um, that's a tough number. I might say push to that, but I think they're at least nine wins good. I do. I mean, I think their defense is going to be good again. And then I think their offense can be better, which is kind of crazy to think considering they're replacing a veteran presence to quarterback. But the guy that should be taking over, Hunter Johnson, was a five-star, absolute bona fide superstar stud at Clemson. He just kind of got he caught he got caught behind the next Peyton Manning and Trevor Lawrence, which is what I think Trevor Lawrence is. I think he's that kind of guy, knock on wood. 
if he stays healthy. I think he's going to be transformational at the next level on Sundays. I think he's that kind of guy. So, you know, if you look at it right now for, for Hunter Johnson, he's a big talent that signed with Clemson for a reason. You put him into the lineup at Northwestern, assuming things kind of gel, I think their offense has enough skill position talent for Johnson to be able to have a big year. Defensively, I think they're going to be good. I don't have the schedule right in front of me to give you an exact answer, but just knowing their personnel, knowing the culture, knowing where they're at, um, I think they're a nine-win type team, at least, and right there on the mix to try to win the Big Ten West again and try to get back to Indianapolis. You know, it's amazing, man. I was talking about this the other day with New Eyes on Full Ride. Isn't it kind of profound for people like us that grew up in the Chicagoland area, how insane it is. If you like college football, it's kind of amazing. Like, for people like me that grew up um, in the 80s and 90s, I remember Northwestern being absolutely terrible until 95. I mean, they they were a doormat in the Big Ten. And Illinois had a somewhat respectable program. Isn't it wild that in 2019, we're talking about Northwestern as leaps and bounds. I mean, they've taken like a Willis Tower leap over Illinois right now, where we're talking about them, you know, an over-under at nine, which I think is reasonable, um, and potentially winning and going back to Indianapolis and winning their division, where Illinois, I mean, I don't know if they have the ability to win more than two games in the Big Ten. It's kind of crazy how uh, history and time has changed things and changed the narrative with the Illinois schools in the Big Ten. Yeah, we have to break this ice age around here that there is in college football to watch, and there's plenty in this there's plenty in Evanston because it, it, Northwestern, the reason why they appeal to me, Chris, is because you never know. You actually have to watch because you don't know. Like, I, I could say that they could be a nine-win ball club. They might win more because you never know because they are the cardiac cats. Hats off to Fitzgerald because that's a top 25 defense coming in. It's an offense where you think it's good, but maybe it's even, you know, Fitzgerald is, has a way to be able to, to get through the players to make them play above their ability. And that's good coaching. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that might be, it's collegiate, but that's what it is. And so if you got a nine-win ball club, in this state to watch uh, in, in the Chicagoland area. This is it. Northwestern is it. And and by the way, looking at their road schedule, starting off at Stanford, they'll be at Wisconsin, yeah. tough, at Nebraska, winnable, at Indiana, at Illinois. At least on mm-hmm. the road, there isn't too many, it, it, there isn't too many um, twists and turns for the Wildcats this year. It's not bad. I mean, there, there's certainly some, some pitfalls there, potentially, but and that's going to happen in the Big Ten. I mean, it's a good deep league, uh, and that's you know, it's just, it's life, it's life inside that conference. But I, I agree, and I think the culture that has been developed, and really to me, if you think about it in the long term, it goes back to to 1995. I mean, you can really go back that far to kind of see the turning point. 95 was obviously the year they went to the Rose Bowl, uh, won the Big Ten. Pat Fitzgerald start on defense. He was the National Player of the Year. He won the Benaric Award. Uh, as a linebacker on defense, and then to see where they've gotten from Gary Barnett, and Barnett raised the bar of what Northwestern could be and kind of raised that imagination and, and potential. And then Randy Walker took over, and if you remember, Randy Walker won a Big Ten championship at Northwestern, and they were routinely going to bowl games. And then when he um, tragically passed away, Pat takes over, and then you look at what's happened now. I mean, they've elevated to the point where they're winning postseason games, and they're getting there on an annual basis, and they're challenging uh, for Big Ten championships, and they're, they're winning the West, and, you know, they're attracting these great transfers like Hunter Johnson, who, you know, who signed with Clemson, one of the behemoths in college football. I think it's really remarkable 
And it's, I, I think it's really neat, too, as somebody, I, I consider myself somewhat of a Northwestern fan, just, you know, growing up in the area, growing up in uh, Vernon Hills, Libertyville, being around in 95 and kind of um, seeing all that magic firsthand and what was going on. It was kind of remarkable. But, you know, if you think about it, Fitzgerald, what I love about him, what is so unique to Northwestern, what is so profoundly cool, is that he's done it at all stages. He's done it at all levels. Since the transformation in 95 to, to elevate Northwestern football, he was a star player. And then under Randy Walker, he was an assistant coach. He was a budding young guy that was working his way up. And then he ends up being the head coach. And look at him now. I mean, they got maybe the nicest facility in America. Uh, we call it the Fitzcarlton, that, that gorgeous facility right there in Lake Michigan. Uh, I think Ryan Fields could use a little TLC. I have no idea what they've planned. Maybe they have great things planned there. Uh, I'm not sure. There's so much changing all around college football. It's hard to keep up with uh, all the best bells and whistles being added. But you know, if you look at what he's done from from um, player to assistant coach to head coach, it is truly remarkable how he's been such an influential part over the last several decades of transforming that Northwestern culture. So then, the other team, of course, you got to ask you about is Illinois. And I talked to mm-hmm. Lovey last night, uh, last year, and. He fell on the sword. He's like, ah, oh, we just don't win enough. We just don't not win enough games. We just got to get better. And, and just like, dude, I mean, it's amazing you got through with four wins last year. So I'll set it at four, over under four wins for Illinois. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to generously go over just because I think Levy at least had him somewhat on the right track. I mean, that was a step. I mean, four wins, four and eight doesn't seem great to a lot of people, but for Illinois, where they were going two and ten, I mean, it was a step. Uh, quarterback's a big question. Defensively, they've been awful. I know Lovey's taking the reins over on that side of the football, which I think is needed. I mean, they've just been an absolute disastrous mess, missing tackles left and right, missed assignments, giving up explosive plays, uh, handover fist. It's just not good. So, uh, I think the right guys probably running the defense now with Lovey taking the reins and becoming more hands-on. But it's just a hard job. It really is. You know, I, I, um, I haven't been to Champaign a lot uh, in recent years, but I did go uh, this past um, November. Right around, It was uh, the day after Thanksgiving. I just was kind of hanging out at the in-laws and uh, who live in Champaign. I went to the state championship game the day after. I just wanted to check it out and, kind of, you know, think back to the days I lived in Illinois and, you know, all the familiar high school names and all that kind of stuff. And it was amazing to me just walking in that stadium. you got to remember, like, doing what I do, I get to tour all the facilities uh, in the SEC and different places in the Big Ten and all these great places. And Illinois is this Big Ten school that's making money uh, at a high level in the Big Ten. The money right now in the Big Ten is better than any other conference in the country. It's, it's just it's crazy the amount of money. Uh, coming in, and if you walk into that stadium, it's filthy. Like it's, it's. I remember the bleachers just like looking at them, and it was state championship weekend. I'm like, this is the way you're going to present it to the rest of the state. It was just dingy and gross. Um, and then if you've been to that stadium at all, I mean, the bathrooms are like from 1920, right. and and kids notice that stuff. Like you just kind of look around; it's just kind of stuck. Like I, I was actually talking about them yesterday. We were doing a show on. Um, coaches in the hot season, I said, you know, you feel like when you're going to Illinois, you're going to a game in 1983. And, and, and nowadays, you see all these, like, really technologically advanced stadiums, and, and kids look at that kind of stuff, and I just don't know how they can expect to compete. I, I thought when they hired Lovey, it was a good hire. I think Lovey's a good coach. I mean, Lovey took the Bears to the Super Bowl, you know, like with Rex Grossman, who 
kind of just flailed around a lot. Like, it's amazing that team won, uh, won as many games as they did and had a chance to win a world championship. I like Lavi a lot, uh, but I think that's just a really hard job. They've not done a lot in years past, in my eyes, on the administrative side, to make that a job you can truly be competitive, which goes back to what I said. Northwestern's kind of gone all in, and they're this private school in Evanston right outside of Chicago, and you have this big state U in Champaign that's kind of been stuck in neutral since the 1970s in my eyes. So it's kind of weird how that's happened, but you got to give credit, uh, a lot of credit to Northwestern for doing that. By the way, the uh, non-conference for Illinois uh, against Akron at Connecticut and Eastern Michigan into the Nebraska game on September 21st, I'm not even sure. That's a new Heisel question because he loves the small schools or the kind of obscure <laughs> – I, I don't know. I don't know how to get out of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's not hyperbole. I'm not sure. Teams. I mean, that, you have, they can't negotiate around that. If there's going to be any shot at all of getting to a bowl game, I mean, winning those non-con games against those three. I mean, Akron, I don't think very good. Eastern Michigan, I think solid. Uh, UConn, I mean, hell, UConn might even, may not even have a program soon. I think those are winnable <laughs> games. I mean, but it's not negotiable. If they're going to have any prayer at all, looking at the rest of their schedule, and I, I don't know how we're going to find three more wins in the Big Ten outside of, I don't know if they play Rutgers, maybe they do, but um, but you have to win those three games to have any prayer whatsoever of going to the postseason. What is what is your feeling about the Big Ten overall this season? Yeah, I mean, you, you talked about uh, some of the, the good things about the Big Ten, but what about on the field? How, what's your gut feeling about the Big Ten coming up? You know, I think it's an interesting transitional year, and I'm not sure, and I think that makes it exciting. You know, I think in years past, we really kind of knew Ohio State was going to be the king, and, you know, we kind of wondered if maybe the, you know, James Franklin, Trace McSorley-led team would be good enough to nip them, or, you know, maybe Mark D'Antonio would rise up. But if you kind of look at it now, you know, on the other side of the league in the West, let's start there, Wisconsin's coming off not a good year. I mean, like we, I think a lot of people forget that. You just kind of take for granted when they were going, you know, 10-2 and two every year and winning the West and going to a New Year's Day bowl game. But that was not the case last year. They had no passing game at all. Uh, the offensive line was not typically Wisconsin road grading dominant. Defensively, they had some holes, and it was just kind of a putz and futz year, and I think they finished 7-5 and five, uh, overall. So them, I'm not really sure how they respond. You know, Noah Hornerbrook anymore, who's at Florida State. A quarterback, but I really don't see them as a threat. But I think it's interesting because I think Iowa's got a chance. I think Northwestern has a chance. And then if you look at the East, I think that's where it gets really compelling because Ohio State's defense was bad last year. And, you know, now they've revamped the defensive coaching staff. Greg Schiano's not there anymore, but they were very average by their standards. I'm curious if that's fixed. On top of it, you know, you have no more Dwayne Haskins. So now you've got. Uh, Justin Fields, the Georgia transfer quarterback, who's got a great dual threat skill set, but he hasn't played a lot. And I think J.K. Dobbins is a star at running back. So I think there's a lot of things to like on offense. Uh, defensively, there's some questions. But the thing about it is, you know, Ryan Day is not Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer's gone. Urban Meyer's got three national title rings. Urban Meyer's, or, Urban Meyer's got three national title rings. Ryan Day's got three wins in his career. And the best one came against, you know, I guess TCU, you would say. And TCU wasn't very good last year. Uh, and the other mar- marquee-ish type of win was against Oregon State, who's been, you know, the director of the bad Pac-12 um, for a while now. So that's Ryan Day. So I'm not really sure what he is. And Jim Harbaugh is coming off a really disappointing end to the 2018 season. They got smoked, gave up like 50 or 60 to Ohio State with that Don Brown vaunted defense. 
Uh, I think they're kind of the favorite just because of the stability of Harbaugh and Shea Patterson coming back in quarterback, but who knows? I mean, you can't trust them until they actually do something. D'Antonio's Michigan State went backwards last year. Uh, James Franklin loses Trace McSorley. And Tommy Stevens transferred out to an SEC school. So now Sean Clifford, who's an unknown, becomes his quarterback. So what I'm getting to is this. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of question marks. There's not a lot of, of known commodities this year. Now, do I think there's a lot of talent in the league? Yes. Do I think there's great coaching in this league? Yes. But do I think there's a lot of unknown? I do. And with that said, it should make for a very compelling fall. Lastly, and I appreciate your time as always, Chris, uh, I'm looking forward to bear season like everybody else around here uh, because there's unfinished business. The kicker decided to uh, not only miss the kick but to run to the Today Show afterwards. That clown runs to Honda Kotby on the Today Show and just goes into our arms and says, I missed the kick and I feel bad. Don't you feel bad for me? The Bears hated that. That's why they cut his ass, and that's one. But the other thing is uh, people are just um, – curious about Trubisky because last year it was not it wasn't awful but it was not great either it, it, because there was a lot of razzle dazzle a lot of side to side you know tuck and run from Trubisky but you know always we always have to remind the audience that hey you know he only played 12 13 games at North uh, Carolina so he's still learning I, I I'm interested in finding out what your thoughts are on Trubisky and the Bears here can they take another step I believe so. I mean, first of all, it just feels so good that the defense feels like the defense again, where it was lost in the wilderness for a long time. There's just yeah. nothing about it felt Chicago Bears. You know, growing up, I just banked on, on one on one certainty on Sunday, that the Bears were going to play great defense, run the football well, and be god-awful at quarterback. But then at least I knew what I was going to get, right? Like, I knew what I was going to get. That wasn't the case for a while. At least the defensive part is back. Um, the quarterback... I really think in my lifetime, this is the best Bears quarterback we're going to have. I really, truly believe that. Now, what does that mean? I mean, you're comparing it to Eric Kramer and Jay Cutler and Hal Moses Marino and you know, guys <laughs> like that. So I'm not sure what that really means. But I did have to pull Moses Marino out of the hat right there, uh, the great Colorado State quarterback back in the day. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I really think he's still a work in progress. Like you said, he didn't play a lot of football in college. Um, you know, he kind of had to wait his turn. There was a lot of depth there at quarterback. Finally got his chance. Put up amazing numbers. You know, catapulted up the uh, the quarterback board there for, uh, you know, in the NFL and, and gets drafted really high, number two by the Bears. I, I know that, like, he wasn't great last year, but he's still a young quarterback. And I think he checks all the boxes. I really do. I think this guy has shown enough to me, and I hate to use that stupid cliche, analyst talk, check the boxes, but it's true with him. I really do. And I think as he continues to mature as a leader, continues to get comfortable uh, being that face of the Chicago Bears, I think he's going to go to the next level. I think it's amazing that he has a defense that he can have confidence in that's going to keep him in every game. I do not think that can be undervalued, how important that is for a quarterback's mentality. And that will allow him just to go out there and get better. And I think he will. So I'm very optimistic about our Bears this year. You and Neuheisel with your check the boxes. Oh, my. Oh I know. I, I really feel like a complete pot for, for doing that. Please don't tell him I did that. <laughs> 
full Please. ride mid- middays on, uh, on Sirius XM ESPNU Radio. As always, Chris, I appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to the season. This is why we do this so summer football. We're getting ready, man. We're, just like you get ready all year, we're getting ready for college football season as well. I love it, and I cannot wait for it to get here. We're like two weeks away, actually less than, from SEC media days and all the media days getting underway, which is awesome. So uh, thanks for the time, and go Bears. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. There he is, Chris Childers from ESPNU Radio, covers college football every day with us here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. Did you see this? I went to get to this yesterday. Could not get to it, but I'm going to get to it now. Mitch Trubisky. As it says here in the Chicago Tribune, Mitch Trubisky isn't the favorite to win the NFL Most Valuable Player Award, but he's the most popular pick among betters in Vegas. Westgate, the Las Vegas sportsbook, has sold more tickets on Trubisky winning the 2019 MVP, initially at 200 to 1 odds than any of his NFL peers. Think about that. Westgate has taken so many Trubisky tickets in the last two weeks that it has moved the line to 50 to 1. Small wagers between 20 bucks and 100 bucks typically indicate bets made by fans, mostly Bears fans, but Bears fans heavy on Trubisky. Some thoughts now from Michael Lombardi from the NFL Network on Trubisky's 50 to 1 odds to win the MVP. Those people that are betting on Trubisky, I'll take all the action on Trubisky. I, I mean, that's like stealing money here. If you think he's going to be the MVP in the league, Seriously, does anybody who has any sense of watching tape understand what's going on truly believes that Mitchell Trubisky has a chance to be? You're better off playing. I mean, you're better off thinking I got a chance to play the bass guitar in the E Street Band. Seriously. (laughs) I think you might do a better job because the boss can cover up a lot of deficiencies. Yeah, I, I, I mean, can you imagine this? How far we've run away with this Mitchell Trubisky? That you got to think, and I think, you know, you've got to believe that. That uh, Vinny and Chris over there at the South Point are just laughing, taking this money coming in. It's like they don't even have to offset it. Listen, Michael Lombardi thinks it's ridiculous, but again, if you have 50, 20 bucks, 100 bucks, why not put it on Trubisky? Trubisky's arrow is pointing up because of the offense. I don't think he's going to be the MVP because I still think he has some work to do, but it's not so ridiculous. I, I mean, this is not the worst quarterback in the NFL. So, yeah, you put your money down where you want to, but Trubisky has the arrow pointing up. He's just got to get better, obviously, offensively. Let's talk about the NBA as far as free agency is concerned with Ryan Hollins with uh, number 9 of 10 as far as his appearances. That's coming up next. Jonathan Hood. If you know, you know. When we all clicking like Golden State and you and your team are the motorcade. You know, you know. On ESPN 1000. You're listening to my man's and them, Jonathan Hood, on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. You're listening to ESPN 1000, the ESPN app, Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. So glad that you're with us. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, with number nine, his ninth appearance in ten that he has for us right here. It's Ryan Hollins, our NBA analyst here on Under the Hood. He joins me on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Hello, Ryan. What's up, brother? <laughs> number nine, man. You're almost you're almost done with me. You're almost done. I, I don't know how you're going to like live without this. Like this is like a this is like a thing. Like you're getting accustomed to this. 
<laughs> and guess what? So are you. <laughs> you, you, you too. Ah, oh, I got to call Chicago again, again. Well, listen, you'll you'll have to do this again next year. You'll say something else, and you're going to have to do this again next year. I'm sure. I, I think you're going to be in the hole, buddy. Because uh, do we have that tape? I'm not sure if we have that audio yet, or if you uh, so smartly didn't ask for it. Oh, no, we have the audio, but it will come out at a, a, a certain time that you're going to enjoy. You're going to enjoy what we found here for you. But just not yet, though. We, we're going to tease the audience with this, your your <laughs> prediction that the Atlanta Hawks are going to make the playoffs next year. That's going to be great. That will be another 10 uh, appearances on the program. Um, so, Ryan, if, if Kawhi Leonard goes to the Lakers, what would you think of his decision? I wouldn't mind it. Uh, this is a guy who was a finals MVP. Uh, in San Antonio, then, okay, we'll go do it yourself. Well, last year he showed us that he won a championship by himself. So uh, Kawhi's not a personality that I say, okay, he's, you know, there, there's some ego involved that he's chasing Michael Jordan, he's chasing LeBron James, he's chasing Kobe Bryant. I don't take that from Kawhi. So I, I, I think he's, a, as he said, he's, he's a fun guy and yet a simple guy. So, you know, I, I really wouldn't even mind if he went and, and made the move to go to the Lakers. Here's what I don't understand, and this is out there because this is part of our sports society now, and I'm seeing this all over the place about uh, how people classify Kawhi Leonard's free agency. If he goes to the Lakers, it's too easy. If he goes to Toronto, it's the right thing. Again, it's free agency. You are free to do whatever the hell you want to do. That's the thing that's so uh, irksome to me is that you work hard. You try to get your body in shape, getting ready for these uh, for all these games to be able to work as hard as you can to win a championship. But yet, it, it's still not good enough for some people. If Kawhi Leonard goes to the Lakers, it's, be- it's based on what's best for him and his family. Why people can't understand that? Well, also keep in manage keep it, keep in mind. We'll keep in manage however you want you want to say it. Okay. This guy has to he, he's got to think about his body and what he can put himself through on a pursuit to winning. So if, if it is Toronto, like, like, like people are begging for, does he want to have to carry the load all the way through the playoffs? And we're not saying that Pascal Siakam, Van Fleet, those guys are not going to get any better, but does he want to have to shoulder that same load? Physically, he may not be able to play at that, at, at that same level, you know, and, and there's a big toll on his body. Keep in mind, after that Milwaukee Bucks series, well, excuse me, you know, as it was going on, he was playing on one leg. He was playing on one leg. So, you know, this isn't, you know, a, a, you know, a 25, 26-year-old LeBron James, and we, we can't say the same for, you know, Anthony Davis is a little younger, but these, these are guys that are going to have to manage minutes and kind of put something together. I don't, I, don't, I think even if he goes to L.A., there's not a clear-gone conclusion that they're the, they're the uh, favorites to get to the finals. They're, they have stuff that they have to bottle. Shoot, they got to put together a roster. Ryan Hollins with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I haven't asked you about Ben Simmons, but because the story has come across that the Sixers have offered a five-year, $170 million contract uh, to Ben Simmons, what do you think of him as a player? Man, he, he's one of the most talented players that we've ever seen grace the NBA. Just just from physical stature alone, he's big, he's strong, he's fast, he can jump high. Uh, he's blessed with the ability to pass, court vision. Uh, that, that, that's just the natural thing. You're born with court vision. You don't necessarily develop it. Uh, and, he, and he rebounds. He can play big. So 
The only questions with him are, hey, can he develop that jump shot? Now, I know that's obviously a broken record, but and he, he's got all the tools. It's, it's just the will to win. And, and when I think of Ben Simmons, uh, it, it, uh, Ben, it just kind of, you know, this may sound like a silly point, but I don't think he's crazy. I don't think he's, he's nuts enough. To be great in the NBA, to be the, in the Jordan, the Kobe, the LeBron conversation, those guys, Durant, they, those guys are obsessive literally obsessive about being good, about being great. They're in the gym, you know, two and three hours a day, two to three times in a day. You know, there is there is no off time. And I don't, I don't know if Ben Simmons has that same drive. Uh, this last year he came back essentially and I saw the same player. And that's a darn good basketball player. That's an all-star in the NBA. But uh, as we would say in Instagram, man, I, I, I woke up like this. <laughs> I was right. born like this. So that's, that's what we might want to say about Ben Simmons. So I'm really intrigued to see how he develops. And is he worth the money? Every penny. He, even, if, even if the guy comes back the exact same player, every single penny. Because that's his show now with Jimmy Butler out there. Out of there. Yeah, I, uh, I, I look at that, uh, that mix a very unique skill set like Simmons, along with Joel Embiid, with Tobias Harris, Al Horford. It looks good on paper. How do you think that works? Because, you know, th- th- I love the idea that the NBA is so wide open, especially in the East, because the Sixers do have a lot of money spent on these players, but you'd never confuse activity with accomplishment. What do you think of them as a collection in the East? They've got a chance, but it rests all on Ben's shoulders as the playoffs did this last year because now you're getting the weapons. You've got all the tools. You've got the wings. You've got the post. You know, you got you got the, the, the center play. All those things are in place, but can he develop? Can he put it together? Can he create shots in big moments in the fourth quarters? Because it, it can't be that he just kind of cruises along, you know, and when you're playing against guys just as big, just as strong, just as fast, you got to make plays. So a lot of those questions are going to be there for Ben Simmons still. I'm, I'm wondering from the Clippers standpoint how they look at things. If, if Kawhi does sign with the, the Lakers, where the Clippers go? Because they made the playoffs, yes, but I know that they want to be better than the 7th or 8th seed next year. Well, in, in terms of the Clippers, uh, they built themselves for today and tomorrow. What do I mean? They've got a great young core. Uh, Landry Shamit, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, those guys are ballers. And this is not a, a case of, you know, the Lakers or the Knicks where, hey, we strike out in free agency, we're done. We're going into a down year. No, you don't feel that way about that team. And then obviously, you know, Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, we know what they can do off the bench, but that, that's the beautiful part about the Clippers. They have not put all their eggs in one basket. Now, yes. You get a Kawhi Leonard in the lineup. Now you're talking about getting to the NBA championship. Now you're now you're talking about uh, contending uh, for, for for it all. But right now, as constructed, that's still a really really good team. What about the Pelicans? I'm interested in finding idea based on what they've been able to put together. You know what, Ryan? That's a to me that's a playoff team. I, if you're a New Orleans Pelicans fan, and you're probably one of these walk-up fans to go to Smoothie King, you may not be a season ticket holder because you didn't buy in, but now that you have Zion and all these other veterans around Zion, this to me, this makes it an easier path for Zion. He doesn't have to score 30 points a game, doesn't have to be the absolute draw. He will be, 
but there's players around him that I think that can really help him out in his process getting into the, the NBA for the first year. Well, I want you to stop right there because that, that's not a playoff team. The, the, the West is stacked and loaded. But what I do like is that they are built to develop Zion. He's in a situation where he can thrive, and you're not putting the same expectations that a New York market would have put on him. You know, let's say that's KD, Kyrie, and Zion. They're like, okay, you're a part of the big three, buddy. So I, I believe that it's an excellent scenario and situation in which he can develop. And, and that's what I'm seeing there when I, when I really take a look at that, uh, you know, with the moves that New Orleans has made. And they're, they're young guys around them. This is not an a, a old squad. You know, Rozier's still a young guy. He's got develop, some developing to do. And that's a team that's going to be highly motivated. You know, it's probably a, a chip on their shoulder. So I expect them to win this year by going out and outworking people. But are they a finished product? Are they a playoff team? No, I, I, I don't agree with you there, Jonathan. Hold on, hold on there, buddy. Hold on. So, if I got Nuggets, Portland, Houston, Utah, Oklahoma City, Clippers, you have Golden State in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Yep. Golden yep. State's in the playoffs. It must have been that Willie yep. Cauley Stein move that just happened. That maybe that was that maybe that's put put them over the top for you, right? Okay, so you, you, you lose Kevin Durant, one of the greatest players of all time, and you, you add in a, a young all-star. That, that's shabby. That's shabby. That's not a, that's not a playoff team? Uh, that's a lot of work for Steph. Golden State will be in the play. Hold on. Do you, do you understand D'Angelo Russell was an all-star in the NBA? You, you know that Klay Thompson will be back at some point this season? Which, uh, which D'Angelo Russell are we getting? That's a good question. I, you know, is that's it not? a veteran squad in Golden State. I, I, I actually like that move. That's a veteran squad there. He, he, the distractions aren't going to bother him. I was actually worried about him if he was going to come to L.A. I right. believe that Golden State, man, that's a that's a group of professionals there. I think it's fair to ask, though. I mean, like I saw him grow up. I thought in Brooklyn, and I guess being in that, that championship environment with the Golden State Warriors, he'll be able to to fit in nicely. I'm just. I'm just wondering because that's really the one-two punch. I don't expect Clay until, and you know, Clay. Clay would have played in the, he would have played in the finals if they didn't stop him, <laughs> because man. he's just that tough. What a what that guy is crazy, oh. man! Like his dad, he would he would have just yeah. played on that on that injury. He was ready. Oh, hey, bro, Clay is nuts though. Clay is nuts though. He ran he ran back when he shot them free throws. He thought he was still in. He oh, he tried to shake it off like, bro, that's an ACL, Clay. <laughs> he was he he fell back in the defense and called out the plays. It's like oh, you have an ACL. Do you, under, do you understand? You have an ACL. He's like, nah, nah, nah. Get over. He, he was already like calling the plays. Like, wait, man, you're hurt. Didn't even know. It didn't care. I love that guy. No, no, no. Clay, Clay. You see, when we talked about psychos earlier, Clay's a psycho. He's a, he's obsessed <laughs> with it. He's a, he's a wild man. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, he just under and uh, Woj uh, tweeted out that he underwent successful surgery today to re- repair that torn ACL. Uh, and if we know anything about Clay, he'll be back sooner than later. So that's that's great for him. That's really great for him. So you don't you don't have the you don't have the Pelicans in the playoffs. Hmm. No, no, I'm not going to let you hype the, the the people. Then you can. You can bash the Pelicans as you do the Bulls. I'm not going to let you do it in Chicago, man. I'm <laughs> not going to allow that, man. <laughs> Wait a minute. Bash the Bulls? Is that what I do? Is that is that my jam? Is that what I'm doing? 
you know, maybe it's just you know you, you speaking your truth, whatever you want to, you know, whatever you want to classify it, man. We're not we're, we're not going to do that, man. <laughs> Wait a minute. Listen, I learned from you, man. You have to speak from the from the hip. You just can't just hold back. You got to be able to tell the truth, right? Isn't that how you do it? Is that another 10 shows on the Pelicans making the playoffs from you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no. no. I'm not, not going to do that because that West is stacked. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, the Clippers barely oh, made it. So. You, you're something else. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I just want oh, to ask. I just oh, want to ask cause, because I was wondering oh. if – I was wondering if the Spurs had some slippage or you thought maybe the Warriors wouldn't be as strong. That's why I asked. So there you go. Hey, man, that's a nice little moonwalk from you, man, backing that, backing that thing up, man. <laughs> <laughs> nice, little, nice little moonwalk. I'm not Flying messing right with that. that no, 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 no. I let you give those takes. Me, I'm just here to listen. That's all I'm here for. That's why we're all here, to just to listen. Well, Ryan, as always, we appreciate it, sir. All right, brother. Take a listen now to Ryan Holland and his thoughts on the Atlanta Hawks. I, I mean, I'm telling you, it's, it's a great fit for the Hawks. <laughs> Guys, the next two years, the Hawks will be in the playoffs. Oh, my God. And then another 10, <laughs> yeah. another 10 appearances yeah. on the program in, in April. I'll be waiting for you. There it is. Ryan Hollins guaranteeing the Atlanta Hawks in the playoffs next year. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. Play the rest of the interview. Don't cut that thing short. Play the rest of it. Well, there you have it, everybody. A guarantee of the Atlanta Hawks being one of the top eight teams in the East. And if it doesn't come through, another 10 episodes of me and Ryan Hollins talking to NBA basketball. Well, thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on the show. No, 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 no. We got to play the rest of that. You're not you're, you're not kidding me, Ben. We got to play, play the rest of that thing out, Jonathan. Hit the break, Felix. Back after this. You're listening to Jonathan Hood. I'm all in my bag. It's hard as it gets. On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Our thanks to Chris Childers and Ryan Hollins for being with us. Show produced by Felix on the other side of the glass. Back tomorrow between 7 and 9 here on ESPN 1000. Because we're off at 9, you can still hear Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday now. Look for the podcast. Google Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday or just follow us on Twitter at WrestlingTWT. Brian Pillman Jr. is on the program. You can hear it in its entirety on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, the podcast. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 7. Stacey King will join us on UTH. Hey, yo, Jay Hood, talk that barbershop talk, dude.